Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. What's Wagner's rule of life number four? Nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I understand I might be like a dog with a bone on this, but this is just fundamentally wrong. It is an insult, but let's tee this up. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 414-799-1620. I'm sorry, I think this is absolutely... Absolutely ridiculous. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, Eric, is it unfair? During the break, we were talking about this story. On Friday, Rock Bottom Restaurant and Brewery, 740 North Plankinton, was shut down by the health department. Shut down by the health department. They, they hardly ever shut places down because a routine inspection discovered numerous cockroaches in the kitchen and basement area used to store food. Numerous live and dead cockroaches seen in the kitchen area and in the basement area where some food is stored. Uh, establishment will cease operations immediately. They had hoped to have it open by Friday, but that didn't work out. It was closed all weekend. All right. Is it unduly harsh for me to say I would never go there again? It's going to be tough to get people to come back. I I mean, it's it's just like... Uh, there, there's certain things, and and you know, I guess part of the thing is how do you let it get to that stage? Sure. I mean, that, that yeah. that's I think what's troubling is that you would think that somebody would notice, hey, there's there's critters running around in the kitchen or running over the food and stuff before the health department would come in, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And the location is so great, though, right there along the river. I mean, that spot is hot now. I, I understand the spot is hot, but cockroach infestation, um, I'm sorry. that that's. I'm just saying that that's probably it for me. I just, maybe that's unduly harsh and maybe that's unfair. I always, I always, I've told the story on the radio before. I, I had a, I had a friend who passed away a couple of years ago, but after college, he lived in New York City for a couple of years. Okay. And he lived in this stupid money, expensive, really, really crummy place mm-hmm. in Greenwich Village. I mean, it was it was like a studio apartment that I don't even remember how much he paid. And this is this is like in the eighties or early nineties or whatever. So I'm visiting once. I'm visiting you know one weekend, and we're in New York and stuff. And the the little bathroom you had to walk through the kitchen to get to the little bathroom. So it's like two thirty in the morning, and I get up and I start to walk into the kitchen, and I flick on the light so I can find the bathroom. <laughs> I flick on the lights, and all the these things, oh, all these man. cockroaches on the floor. Ooh, okay. So I say to him, my friend's name is John. I said, John, there's cockroaches all over. He said, Yeah. I said, He said, Yeah. But here's the thing: every place in New York has cockroaches. Okay. He said because even the new places, people move into them and they move, you know, their boxes and stuff, and they bring them along from their old places. He said, Actually, you look for places with cockroaches because if they don't have cockroaches. They have something else that's scaring away or eating the cockroaches, and you want no part of whatever that something oh, else wow. is. At which point in time, I thought, I just don't want to live in New York City. <laughs> you know, it's just like, but oh, but yeah, it's, I, I feel bad for the place. I don't, I don't remember when I've. I'm not sure I've ever been to, you know, that place in there when it's when it was rock bottom. But um, cockroach infestation, uh, yeah, that's, no, that's thank rough. you, that's no, rough. thank you. Hey, if you want to follow my life. One of the things we started doing is my New Year's resolution was to be more aggressive on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. So over the weekend, my lovely bride and I, we made it to the Marquette game. Crummy weather, tough MU loss. 
but um, we've got a picture of us down in our seats. Uh, anytime I get to hang out with the lovely Fran, it's still a good day. So that's up on Twitter. And my nephew, nephew turned 12. So uh, yesterday, what do you do? We were at Laser Tag in Brookfield, and that was kind of an interesting experience. We got pictures of the, the gang up there as well, plus Head Start on one of the, some of the things that we're going to talk about on today's program. So you can follow me. It's at Jeff Wagner 620 on Twitter and see all that. Okay, the big story, of course, of the day is the fact that Milwaukee has been selected to host the 2020 Democratic National Convention. Let me say at the outset, I I think it's really cool. There's there is no question about it. I admit I was a little bit of a skeptic, not because I thought Milwaukee wasn't really cool, but because from the perspective of the delegates and and I, I was a delegate 1996. I was an alternate to the Republican National Convention in 19, and that was in San Diego. It was the year that Bob Dole was, was nominated to take on, on Bill Clinton. The convention was really cool. One of the things that, that happens when you go for the, the convention is, first of all, you need the hotels. And the Democratic National Committee, they're talking about maybe 50,000 people all in, all done, you know, coming to Milwaukee, which is huge. So you've got the hotel issues. And even back then, when we were in San Diego, the delegation I was with, the Wisconsin delegation, we stayed very, very close to the main hotel because a guy from Wisconsin, Mike Greeby, was putting was in charge of putting on the convention. But there were people that were 45 minutes. There were people that were an hour away at some of those delegations, and they were not particularly happy with that. This is obviously going to be the same thing. Secondly, I do wonder how and, – and this is not an anti-Milwaukee thing. I, I live here by choice. I love southeastern Wisconsin. One of the things is, from the perspective of the delegates, I'm not talking about the rich and famous. I'm talking about the average delegates. You want to go to someplace cool, and I wonder how they're reacting, saying, hey, it's Milwaukee instead of Miami. How would have I reacted if, hey, we're going to, you know, you save up your money, and you're going to go to maybe this once-in-a-lifetime thing, and you're in San Diego versus you're in Billings, Montana, or Kansas City, or whatever. No knock on Billings, no knock on Kansas City. I'm going to wonder how this is going to be received by the rank-and-file delegates. But nevertheless, I, I just don't think you can argue that economically it's not going to be something really cool. Now, what the city and the area needs to be careful on is not to go nuts with infrastructure expansion simply for a one-week thing. How many different cities, for example, have gotten the Olympics or uh, countries have gotten the Olympics, and then there's this massive spending, and then, you know, after the Olympics is over, two weeks later, what you find is you've got all this giant infrastructure that you're never going to use again. So you need to be a little bit smart, and you need to be a little bit careful about this. But that said, you know, you've got tens of thousands of people that are going to be coming here, and that is a good thing. Are there going to be logistical issues? Yes, there, there are quite, no question there are going to be logistical issues. Are people going to be far away in some cases? Yeah, that, that's true too. But it, it's a very, very cool thing and it's going to be great for local businesses and it's going to be great for Milwaukee to get on the, the national news. So economically, it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, a conservative or a liberal, th- this is going to be good for the region because a lot of those Democrats are going to be staying out in, Wa- in uh, Waukesha County and Washington County and Ozark. County, and they're going to be spending money out there as well. So this is this is good for the entire community. There's no question about it. It is also good for the Democrats from a political perspective, because let's be honest here. 
Let us assume for the sake of argument that President Trump runs for for re-election. His strategy is already developing. He has, just like he had a relatively narrow path to election in 2016, he has a similarly narrow path to re-election should he run in 2020, which means he's probably got to carry the states that he carried before. And in particular, that means he's got to carry Pennsylvania, he's got to carry Michigan, and he's got to carry Wisconsin. All those are arguably purple states, maybe even Democrat-leading states, that he surprised people and he won. But he's got to carry those because you take those states away and the path to re-election probably becomes, if not difficult, impossible. So obviously by bringing all the Democrats here, you increase the visibility of the state, and arguably, maybe you make it more likely that that he's going to be reelected. That he's that the Democrats are going to go back and win Wisconsin, like they had before Trump won in 2016, like they had every year since 1988. So Wisconsin's going to be a pivotal state. Democrats are having their convention in Milwaukee. There's clearly a political bonus to that. Here is what I want to start off the program with. How do Republicans respond? Let us assume, for the sake of argument again, that Wisconsin is a state that if he is to be reelected, President Trump absolutely, positively has to carry. He needs those 10 electoral votes from Wisconsin. The Democrats are now here. They're going to have their signature event in 2020. Democrats from all over the country are going to be descending on Milwaukee. Clearly, it will help rev up the Democrats in Wisconsin. People are going to be excited. How should Republicans respond to this news? 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss, and I'll share my thoughts with you in just a moment, but how do Republicans respond to this news? Economically, it's great news. I don't think that anybody should be able to argue that. But politically... What does the GOP do? We discuss next. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. We have a text here. Do you think Hillary will come to Milwaukee? Yes, Hillary will be in Milwaukee. My guess is she's going to be giving a keynote speech one of the evenings. Will she and Bill be staying in Milwaukee? Well, I don't know. You've got the Fister, maybe uh, the guest of some very wealthy Democrat, or or in Chicago. But yeah, Hillary's going to be here. Sam and McHenry. Sam, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. How you doing, Jeff? How do the Republicans deal with this? It's pretty simple. Most of the Democrats, if not all of them, have signed on to the Green Deal. So let's start working through this. If you're a farmer, if you whether you're dairy, meat, whatever. They want you to get rid of your cows. If you're growing food, how do you harvest your food and ship your food if there's no fossil fuels anymore? Uh, Harley-Davidson, they want to put Harley out of business. Uh, yeah, I mean, you just go right down the line. Restaurants, bars, they don't like anything anymore. So once they, yeah, they're going to be there spending some money, Jeff, but once they get on stage, it'll be interesting to see, well, what are they going to even be talking about? So you think the Republicans need to be aggressive in responding to this on the issues? Absolutely, because they've all signed on to it. And, you know, again, it's what what policies are they talking about other right. than this Green Deal? Right. No, see, I, I think you're on to something, Sam. Here, here's the bottom line. And the Republican Party in Wisconsin, 2020 is going to be really interesting. You, you don't have a gubernatorial race. You don't have a Senate race. 
Uh, that's Ron Johnson is up next, but not till 2022, should he choose to run again. So from the perspective, you've got all the congressmen that are up for election, of course. But otherwise, I mean, what you've got on the ballot, it, it, it's the presidential race. And Donald Trump, I don't see how Donald Trump gets reelected if he runs again, if he doesn't carry Wisconsin, which means Wisconsin becomes this huge battleground. And I think you're on to something, Sam. I mean, I think what has to happen is both Wisconsin Republicans and national Republicans have to focus on Wisconsin, and they need to get ahead of, of the story. Now, again, I, I think a lot of this, how easy the path that President Trump has to re-election, I think it kind of depends on which direction the Democrats go. I, I agree with you that if they end up going hard left, and you have, we're going to talk about one of the things Elizabeth Warren came out with on Friday. But, I mean, if you go hard left with the Green New Deal and the socialist stuff, and let's go after wealth, and let's have Medicare for all, which means we're going to take away everybody's insurance policies and your choices to have doctors. If if we if they go that direction, yeah, I mean, I think it makes the path for re-election for President Trump easier. If you have a more moderate Democrat, a center-left Democrat, a Joe Biden or something, well, okay, then it's it's perhaps a, a tougher sell. But regardless, we've got to realize that um, Wisconsin is going to be a battleground state. And if I were advising the Trump campaign, and the Lord knows I'm not doing that, I mean, I, I think I, I think he's got to be in Wisconsin, and he's got to be in Wisconsin a lot because it was a surprise. It was an upset. His poll numbers are, are still underwater. But if you look at the, the way he wins – it's it's not just carrying Florida. It's not just carrying Ohio. It's Pennsylvania. It's Michigan. It's Wisconsin. Maybe there's one or two other states that you can pick up, but you, you lose those 10 electoral votes from Wisconsin, and your campaign is really in trouble. And this is one of the reasons why I believe you see the Democrats coming to Milwaukee. Now, there's a lot of other reasons as well, but there is a huge political advantage to doing that, and the Republican Party needs to respond. And if they don't respond aggressively, and I think that that means, in many respects, that means President Trump being here and President Trump coming here on multiple occasions and trying to do the things to rally the base. Because keep in mind nowadays, you, you don't have a Republican governor anymore. You don't have a Scott Walker who you know commands lots and lots of support among the Republican base. I mean, you you it's got to come at this particular case from the top. So if I were advising Republicans in Wisconsin and nationally. Um, you got to say to the president, look, if you're serious about running for reelection, you've got to make Wisconsin a priority. And that means you got to camp out there and you can't pull a Hillary Clinton and not show up. You need to be there on a constant basis. Just saying. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. About the time I started doing a talk radio show in this market was about the time we started to have the sales tax to pay for Miller Park. 1996 is when the five-county sales tax went into effect. It's a 0.5% sales tax that is designed to help pay for Miller Park. And as I've mentioned before, this was, and to this day, I think, remains somewhat controversial. You talk to people from Racine who even, you know, 20 years later feel bad that they ended up getting caught up in this. So to pay for Miller Park, 
there is a 0.5% sales tax. What that means is, for example, in Milwaukee County, you've got a 5% sales tax. There's a special 0.5% sales tax for just Milwaukee County, and then there's the Miller Park tax. So the sales tax is 6%. Since 1996, this five-county sales tax has generated somewhere in the neighborhood of $524 million dollars. Last, well, 2017, which is the last year that I was able to find the numbers, $31 million from the five-county sales tax. It originally, they said, hey, we put in the sales tax. We think it's going to sunset. We think it's going to end somewhere around 2010, um, then 2014, then 2016. Now the estimates are that the five-county sales tax will end either by the end of this year or early next year. So there is, from a sales perspective, sales tax perspective, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Now, in Milwaukee County, there are a number of so-called cultural institutions that desperately, desperately need money, and we've talked about them all. You know, the, the domes are in disrepair. And there's all these different plans about how can we save the dome, should we save the domes, etc. The safety building, you know, is going to have to be demolished. It is an OSA, it's a, it's an OSHA problem. You know, something's going to have to happen there. You've got the constant battles that you need for financing to run the parks. You've got the issues with, you know, how do we continue to pay for the zoo and the museum and the market center and the Milwaukee Art Museum. All these different things are requiring money. So one of the ideas that is floating around, first of all, the idea was, well, maybe what we can do is we can create a regional a regional taxing authority, because the, the way the Miller Park sales tax works, it was created by the state. It has to end. Once its purpose is fulfilled, it has to end. So you can't just automatically say, well, we're going to keep this going and we're going to use this money for other purposes. It has to end. However, however, you could reinstitute it. Now, like I say, you need new legislation to do that. But, you know, you could theoretically do it. And the argument is, hey, look, people have gotten used to paying this extra 0.5% sales tax. They've done this for the last 20-plus years. Hardly anybody notices it anymore. Why don't we bring this up and let's make this tax permanent? This is the argument as a way of helping to fund these cultural institutions. If you did it regionally, well, like I say, 2017 – Thirty-one million dollars was raised. The estimates, and it varies a little bit from year to year. The estimates are, if you simply made it Milwaukee County only, with the effort that you're only going to help fund Milwaukee County projects, they estimate that um, you you could raise ten, twelve million dollars a year. And it's going to vary a little bit. Some years might be more. Some years might be less. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. We've gotten used to this. This 0.5% sales tax has been around for 20-some years. Clearly, there are cultural – I mean, everybody loves the zoo. I mean, everybody loves the park system. Everybody takes advantage of that. Would it simply make the most sense to continue – 
the Miller Park sales tax as a way of generating revenue for those things that we all want to use. And again, I understand the mechanics. You'd have to reinstitute it. You can't just simply say, we're going to keep it running. But you could reinstitute it. Do people notice? Would people care? What about a regional sales tax? Should we keep the five-county sales tax going? 414-799-1620. I will share with you where I come down on this. We'll discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Boy, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. I Somebody said to, that the Milwaukee County, the stadium sales tax in the five-county region is, is 0.1%, not 0.5. The Brown County sales tax was 0.5. But the numbers are true. Generated about $31 million last in 2017 for the five-county region. If you were to continue it for Milwaukee County alone, they estimate somewhere 10, 12, 13 million dollars, and you could use it to help underwrite the cost of some of supporting some of these cultural institutions. Should we just do a Milwaukee-only sales tax? Should we maintain the five-county sales tax and use it to pay for regional attractions? Or should we just let it die? 414-799-1620. Dave and Mequon. Dave, good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dave. I would say let it go. Uh, the reason being there's, it's twofold. One of it is the fact that if you look at, you will give an example, the Marcus uh, Center for Performing Arts. The symphony is moving out of there. That's their main tenant in the building. And they're moving down in Wisconsin Avenue, and that's been done with private donations to renovate the old theater that was on Wisconsin Avenue. And what I just look at is, you know, you could essentially, let's say, sell off the zoo to a private entity that could invest some money. And obviously the county does make money on it, but the amount of money that would be generated from the sale would be more than enough to pay for a lot of the repairs that are needed and some other things. And, and the same thing with the domes. I don't think honestly, the county needs to be in the plant business, is <laughs> yep. what I always say. Um, and, you know, it easily could be taken over by another institution. Uh, or maybe it's just run its course, Dave. I mean, you know, when you look at the domes, that, that's, I mean, it was a, it, the domes were a wonderful thing, but how many yep. people really go there anymore? And, you know, they so were much, built in 19, the 1960s. So, I mean, the question becomes, all right, it's, it, they've had a great run. Maybe is it time to explore something different, maybe on a smaller level on the zoo property? No, th- thanks for the call. That's, I mean, I, I think these are, are these issues that are out there. Look, here, here's what I think is important. Number one, it is important to end this tax, just like we ended the Brown County sales tax. Too often, what ends up happening when it comes to taxes is they are put in for a particular purpose. That's the justification. And then after that justification is done with, well, it's all right. People don't notice that tax. You you see this with a lot of the fees, for example. If you look at your phone bills, you, you'll see that there's all these fees. Well, the, these fees originally started out as intended to pay for one thing. And then, all right, we've now paid for that. So now we're going to convert this and switch it over to something else. I think it is important when you have a tax which is approved for a particular purpose 
and that purpose is over, it, it is important that that tax ends. Now, again, it, th- that's what's going to have to happen when it comes to that five-county sales tax. You can't just automatically switch it over because in the enabling legislation, it was specifically designated to be for Miller Park. Then that raises the next question, well, do people really miss it? Could we slip in a new tax that's in there? And my argument would be that that's an absolute and total non-starter. I think what you need to do is I think you have to figure out a way. First of all, you have to prioritize which of these attractions are the most important. And and then you you have to decide based on that where the money is going to come from. But the idea of continuing these various taxes, I think it's a non-starter. 414-799-1620. Jerry in Columbus. Jerry, you're on WTMJ. Hello, Jeff. Hi, Jerry. Um. I, I just called to say that I was uh, one person that called and talked to you back in 96 or 97, okay. whenever this... When it started, it started in 96. That's when they first started collecting it, yeah. Okay, yeah, and uh, I was, and and still am against it. I, I don't think we should be paying for stadiums. Uh, but anyway, um, at the time, the point I made was this, even though this might have to sunset legally, it will not really end. And I still don't think it will. I mean, I, I'll, I'll ask you the same question I asked back then. Have you ever heard of a tax that has ended? Well, my answer is yes. Brown County. Remember the stadium sales tax that they did to do the improvements at Lambeau Field? Once uh-huh. that was fulfilled, they ended that. So... It doesn't okay. have. I'll concede to you. It, don't ask me to give you another example. Okay. Well, that was. See, you didn't have an answer twenty years ago. So. <laughs> right. Right. So, so don't. I mean, th- thanks. I mean, don't ask me for another one. I. But I do. The, the one in Brown County. Well, I think twenty fourteen. They. The, it had fulfilled its purpose. It had raised its money. It had paid for the improvements in Lambeau Field. But. But I agree. This is one of the ways that people get into your pockets, and I. I think. Look, I, I appreciate, first of all, let, let's go back a step. There, there is no way, and there is no way in God's green earth, that you get any political support at all for continuing any version of a five-county sales tax. I mean, if you think it was a tough sell for Miller Park, that I can, I made the argument at the time, and I believe that that was correct, that that it bent, Miller Park benefits the region. Now, I understand there's people in Racine County who, who still don't believe that, and there's people in Waukesha and Washington and Ozaki County who, who don't believe that either. But I think Miller Park has been good for the region. I think that that was a good investment of money. There is no way in the world that you convince somebody in Racine or Washington County or Waukesha or Ozaki County that, hey, we're going to continue the sales tax with the idea that the lion's share of that is going to go to help support some cultural institution in in uh, Milwaukee County, which isn't to say the cultural institutions in Milwaukee County aren't wonderful and all those types of things. That's a complete and total political non-starter. The only thing that might might be possible, I guess, is to keep it to a Milwaukee-only one and say, look, county residents are willing to, to pay this. Um, they support it to support their institutions. That, I mean, maybe maybe you could sell that to the legislature because the legislature would say, well, if this is what, what Milwaukee wants, well, this this is what Milwaukee gets. I just don't think that that's the way you should go about this. Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. I'm uh, agreeing with you just to keep it to Milwaukee County. Not, well, not right. agreeing with you, but I mean, Milwaukee County only. And put that five percent. No one seems to be missing it after 20 years. 
put it towards the roads and fix the potholes so we can get to the stadium. <laughs> and uh, and and uh, appreciate uh, the DPW, you know, to plow the roads, the side roads, a bit better than just going down the center of the road. Well, that's now my see. That's I mean, that's the other thing. Given all the different priorities that that are out there, and, and given the fact that you know, you you look at what Tony Evers, for example, the new governor is talking about, and he's not he's not going to get much, if any, of this. But he's looking at a total of about six B as in billion dollars in tax increases. So if he were to get his wish, you would be talking about massive tax increases up and down the line in Wisconsin in various forms, whether it's raising the gas tax or raising the income tax or boosting, allowing communities to boost property taxes or, or whatever. Massive tax increases. I mean, that's what Evers wants. I just don't think communities are on board. Now, I, I guess, and this is from the perspective of somebody who no longer lives in Milwaukee County, if voters in Milwaukee County want to pay to tax themselves more, and I understand that there's you know times people who live outside Milwaukee County do go to Milwaukee County and spend money, if voters decide that that is what they want to do, maybe you could make the argument that, well, they should be allowed to do it, but I still see no support for this, and at the very least, I think you need kind of a moratorium on these type of taxes. Let the thing sunset. Let it die. See how it all plays out. And if two years from now you want to come back and try to sell the good citizens of Milwaukee County on a sales tax to help support the domes or the zoo or the parks or the Performing Arts Center or all these other things, well, okay, then then you can make the case and let those voters decide. But for the people in the collar counties, um, it, it's it's over. I think in this case it was a one-and-done sales tax, and that's a complete non-starter to include anybody else. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at JeffWagner620. I've got a link to this story that, that has a lot of the numbers, some of which I'm going to be sharing with you. But if you want to track it down, if you are concerned about this, again, it's at JeffWagner620. Eric was mentioning this during his story during the newscast. And candidly, it was a conversation I had with my wife, the lovely Fran, this morning. We're, we're jumping on a jet, not this week, but next week. She's going to take Thursday and Friday off and go try to find a little bit of sunshine just for a long weekend. So we're going to be jumping on a jet. Matter of fact, we are going to be flying Southwest Airlines. I bring this up because in the last five months, there have been two crashes involving the latest Boeing aircraft. The Boeing 737 is the the best-selling airliner in history. The newest plane that they are manufacturing is something called the Boeing 737 MAX 8. Right, that's what it's called, and it's the newest version of the 737, and supposedly it has more fuel-efficient engines, and it's, it's a real major part of Boeing's strategy to compete with the European plane manufacturer Airbus, but it's more efficient, so it has a lot of appeal to airlines. Southwest Airlines has 34 of these Boeing 737 MAX 8s, in its fleet, and they've got 34 more coming by the end of the year. American Airlines has 24 of these MAX 8s in their fleet. They've got uh, nearly a 1,000 planes. United doesn't fly the MAX 8. 
United has Max 9s. And, and to tell you the honest to goodness truth, I don't know the difference between the Max 8 and the Max 9, but United has a handful of these Max 9s in their fleet. But those are the U.S. carriers that, that do it. But there's a ton of these that are out and about in the world. Now, Boeing so far has made 350 of these different planes that have been delivered again to airlines all over the country. There are 5,000 of these planes that are on order. So this is, this is the new thing in aviation. This is the new supposedly best model and, and airlines are, are buying them right and left. Like I say, there's 350 flying and, and right now there's about 58, there's about 60 or so that operate in the United States, but more are on the way. Now, this aircraft is getting a lot of attention because in the last five months, there have been two catastrophic crashes involving this particular model of airplane. The first occurred about five months ago, Lions Air. That was the airline flying. um, One of these things crashed shortly after takeoff in Indonesia. And what, what happened was... Without going into the technicalities too much, and again, if you want to read some of the reports, I've got a link to it um, through my Twitter account at Jeff Wagner 620 But what happened was apparently there was a, some some sensor that came on and it activated the autopilot, and the pilots didn't know what to do, and the thing ended up taking a nosedive and crashing. The general belief is this was pilot error to the extent that the pilots didn't know how to handle this particular situation. Now, I bring this up because yesterday – um, Ethiopian Airlines, there was a crash of this same plane. About four or five minutes after takeoff, it went down at a high rate of speed, nose first, pretty similar to what happened in the Lion's Air crash um, several months ago. They have recovered the black boxes. So they're going to be able the black boxes or the, the computer things that tell you what's going on. Nobody's sure exactly what happened so far. The recreations are that the, the plane was never was never getting the altitude that it needed, and that they said it, I, the thing I was saying said it was while I was watching was showing it was what they call porpoising. You know how porpoises go up and down in the water. It would go up and it would go down. It would up and go down. Um, I, I was listening to a couple pilots who were giving their initial thoughts on this, and, and they believe that there was, a, again, some degree of pilot error, but nobody's prepared to say that. But in any event, you've got the same plane, which has now crashed twice in the last five months, this particular type of aircraft. In some countries, start including China, they've, they've grounded all these various planes. Right now, in the United States, there's no order to ground these planes. Southwest, and Southwest Airlines has, again, they're flying 34, but they've got 34 more of them coming. Southwest says, you know, we believe that this aircraft is safe, and we're going to continue to fly. American Airlines says, well, we believe the airline is safe, the airplane is safe, we're going to continue to fly. United, and they've only got four. United, and they've got four of the MAX 9s, not the MAX 8s. Again, I don't know what the difference is between the, the two. But United says, well, if you want to try to rebook on a different plane, we'll try to work with you. Now, it's probably easy for them to say because they've only got four of these these planes. I was, actually, my wife and I were talking about this this morning, and one of the questions I had was, sweetheart, you know, what, what would you be reluctant to fly on this particular plane at this point in time? And her response was, 
You bet I would be. Now, the thing is, the way it works is you, you don't know. I can't call up Southwest today and find out what plane that they're going to be flying on the trip that I'm going on a week from Thursday. They they say, you know, we don't know until 24 or 48 hours beforehand what the plane is going to, to be. So it's very difficult for people to be able to tell that. But here, here is my fundamental question that I want to discuss with you. All right. Southwest, um, American, they say these, these planes are safe. Boeing says these planes are safe. The FAA hasn't grounded these planes. They consider the planes to be safe. They are grounded in some other countries. All right, are you hesitant to fly on this particular type of aircraft to the point that would you even consider rescheduling your travel if you find out a day beforehand that, hey, that flight that I am booked on to go to Fort Myers or go to Las Vegas or go to San Antonio or go to Miami or wherever, um, I'm going to be flying this particular type of plane. How freaked out are you about this? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Scott in Greendale. Scott, good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Great topic. Thanks. Um, what do you think? I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm completely freaked out uh, to go on that type of aircraft, but I definitely would say it's it's on my mind. It, it's uh, too um, flight control type of issues with that aircraft. Um, it would make me feel good knowing that obviously amongst the major carriers here in the United States, there hasn't been an incident or an accident. And I have, you know, if you look at those two prior crashes or the flight control issues, I will just say, you know, you had desert-like and or subtropical type of conditions. I know the max for Southwest does, you know, head down into Costa Rica and some mm-hmm. of those areas down there. Um, but I, I would say it's definitely on my mind. I probably, if I found out, showed up at the airport and I was getting ready to go on a Yeah, that's gonna, that's my question. You're, 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 you're flying, you're flying to Phoenix. All right. You get to the airport and all of a sudden you see, okay, this is that 737 MAX 8. Are you jumping on that jet? Yes. Yes, I would. All right. Good enough. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Scott says he's going. How are you going to react? Are you less likely to fly knowing, you know, what's going on? And, and again, the, the first crash, they pretty much attribute it to pilot error. They say the pilots didn't know how to respond to this particular situation. But nevertheless, the thing crashes at a high rate of speed, nose first. Don't know what happened yesterday. All you know is that 130-some people, including eight Americans, are dead. It crashes the same way. All right, are you concerned about this particular type of aircraft? Would you change your plans? We continue the conversation next. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Oh, I just cannot seem to get this project done. Hey, look, it's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Think you could come help me? What do I look like, a home improvement expert? No way. I can help you find an expert. Tune into my show each week for the 19th Annual Home Improvement Showcase. We feature several of Southeast Wisconsin's home goods, landscaping, decorating, and home improvement businesses. You won't need me when you can get the tips and tricks from the experts themselves. Jeff Wagner's Home Improvement Showcase, sponsored by Oak Creek Plumbing, Outdoor Living Unlimited, and Home. Hometown windows and doors. Okay, 
My Pillow has a new product I want to talk to you about. It's their new sheets, the amazing sheets that are made by My Pillow. Here's how this happened with me. A couple of weeks ago, the folks at My Pillow said, "Hey, would you try out these sheets?" So I, I took them home. I, I said, "Absolutely." Tried them out. My wife loves them. I love them. I want to tell you something. This is the honest to goodness truth. I have stayed in a lot of really nice hotels in this country and actually overseas as well. These My Pillow brand sheets. I think they compare favorably with, I don't know, some of the sheets that you find in some of the nicest hotels across the country, maybe across the world. All right. The creator for the My Pillow brand pillow is Mike Lindell. He's a sleep genius. Everything he creates revolves around making sure you get the best sleep of your life. That's why he created the new Giza Dreams bed sheets. He started by using the world's best cotton. It's called Giza. It's only grown in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. It's ultra soft. It is incredibly breathable. Take it from me. And it's durable. The Giza Dream sheet set also includes two full 21-inch wide pillowcases that fit over any pillow and deep pocket sheets sheets that will fit over any mattress. Um, you feel like you're sleeping in a five-star resort, and that's true. These really are great sheets. I wouldn't tell you otherwise. I've been using the sheets for weeks now. You can as well. Go to MyPillow.com. Click on the Giza Dream Sheet Special. Use the promo code WAGNER, or you can call 1-800-953-4163. You get 30% off and free shipping. Yep, 30% off and free shipping. Don't forget to enter the promo code WAGNER. That's what makes the magic happen. When you go to MyPillow.com, you love the pillow, check out the sheets. Ready for a bath update? Call Mad City Baths. Our custom tub-to-shower conversion transforms your old tub into an easy-access shower in as little as one day. It's life-changing for customers like Hope. And now it's like, whoa, in, out, in, out. We can just, it's handy. And, and it's something every person who's older, like us, needs to have in their bathroom. Call today and ask about walk-in tubs with hydrotherapy and score big savings now during our slam dunk sale. Get 67% off installation, no payments and no interest for 18 months, plus a bonus, $500 in Mad City cash to use towards your purchase. Now that's a slam dunk from Mad City Baths. Call one mad city for a free gift with your in-home estimate. That's one mad city or madcitybaths.com. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jennifer in Mequon. Jennifer, good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right. So these the same plane, it's the newest, it is the latest model from Boeing, the 737 MAX 8s. Two crashes in the last five months. All right. Boeing says they're safe. All right. Are you reluctant to fly on one of these? No. And here's why. I'm afraid to fly in the first place. Right. I'm definitely afraid. Haven't flown in 10 years. I actually was talked into going to Arizona to see my daughter, who is a nurse out there. So my flight leaves April 3rd, and I'm flying southwest. (laughs) (laughs) So you're sitting there saying, okay, I don't want to fly in general. And, and of course, you won't know until like a day or so beforehand, even if you want to know know, what type of plane you're going to be flying. Odds are you're probably not on one of these, but, you know, you might be. Right, and if I find out I am, there is just not a chance I'm going to be able to get on that plane. Then I will absolutely have to drive. <laughs> oh, so seriously, so if, if you find out 24 or 48 hours before the flight that this is this is the plane, you're, you're going to cancel, you think? Absolutely. 
100%, not a doubt in my mind, I would cancel. Huh. And I don't even care if I don't get my money back. I just would not get on the plane. Why? Because I'm so afraid of flying. And then, you know, <laughs> you see these two specific types of jets crashing within the last five months. That really scares the life out of me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, thanks. I mean, I, I, I guess I, I understand the, the only thing I would say to you, and thanks for the call, Jennifer, the only thing I would say is that w- when you have an aircraft crash, it is obviously a catastrophic type of thing. The, the reality, though, is even with what's happened in the last two months, in the last five months with these two crashes, you, you are, you're, you're much safer flying, you're, you're, you're more, you're safe flying this aircraft as you probably, you're probably more safe driving this aircraft than you are driving through, you know, certain intersections, not that far from where I'm sitting here doing the show now. So, I mean, I think you do have to keep, keep the big perspective that's in there. Um, obviously the first flight, was, was pilot error. At least that's what they believe. The pilots just didn't know how to react to this particular thing that happened. Some of the early stuff that I was suggest was seeing today was at least implying that they think the same thing might have happened. Pilots just didn't know how to fly this new aircraft. I guess I I understand the white knuckle flying, and I I mean I fly a lot. I'm not afraid to do it, but I'm not thrilled to do it. I have friends who love to fly. I have friends who are private pilots. They just love being up in the air. I, I've never gotten that bug. <laughs> it's just like I, I do it because I want to go to Florida or I want to go to Las Vegas or I want to go to Arizona or I want to go to Europe. And the only way as a practical matter you can do that is by getting on an airplane. So I, I do those types of things. I don't love flying either. Would I not go on the plane? No, I, I'm getting on the plane. I'm I'm going where I'm going a week from Thursday. Now, the truth of the matter is, I, if we get down there and it's this type of plane, I, I might have this conversation with my wife. Now, whether I can get her on the plane or not is a different story. Uh, here's a text, Jeff. The airlines and Boeing know that all eyes are on them. They will make sure the airline is a priority for inspections and safety checks to prove it's still safe. Their reputation is on the line. I would not hesitate to fly on them in the coming months. They will be the safest planes due to scrutiny. That's from Andrew in Waukesha. That's, um, I mean, that's, of course, the argument you get from time. And that's the argument I always make about when you get the, the, the threats at the school. You know, the thing that's uh, scratched on the, scrawled on the wall of the girl's bathroom saying the school will blow up, et cetera, et cetera. My argument has always been that that day that the school – Whenever they predict the thing's going to happen, that school is the safest that that school will ever be because you've got the awareness. I, To me, I think it is a training thing. I think that's what this is ultimately going to come back to me and be. And by the way, I I'm, don't pretend to be an aviation expert and don't play one on the radio, but I, I do – I think there's at least going to be a likelihood that they're going to come back and they're going to find that these were, were pilots who maybe hadn't been properly trained in the operation of of this new plane. You know, kind of like when you get into a new car and it's got some new bells and whistles and all of a sudden, you know, you're supposed to do something different to turn on the lights. That's a simplistic sort of thing, but you know what I mean. I, I think that might be where it comes to. But I guess at this point in time, while I think it's definitely something that's a talkable thing, and I'm certainly not going to mock our last caller, Jennifer, I, I think as a general rule, I think most people are just going to simply say, all right, well, unless the FAA believes that these things need to be grounded, we're going to continue to go with it. But having said all that, if I show up at the airport a week from Thursday and we find, oh, this is one of those Max 8 airplanes, I do admit I'm going to have to 
either talk my wife down or perhaps figure out a way to sedate her briefly. <laughs> something, something like that, because I suspect she's not going to be wanting to get on that plane. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Ah, found something out. I knew my my producer grew today and always. A week from Friday, you're flying southwest. You're going to Florida. So you're going to be checking out that to see if it's a 737 MAX 8? No, you don't want to know. <laughs> you, you, you just don't want to know. You're going to get in there, sit down. There's going to be that information card that they have in the seat pocket and stuff explaining what airline is. You're just going to turn that back. You don't Ignorance even want to know. Ignorance is bliss, Ignorance right? Ignorance <laughs> is but That's it. Just, just don't even want to know because... Right. Once you make that decision to get on the plane, there ain't nothing you can do. That's just the bottom line. Okay. So, Melissa, would you be reluctant to fly these planes? I would. I would definitely want to. Yeah. I would want to check out what plane it is, what kind of plane if I booked a flight. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. all right. So let's assume for the sake of argument that you're going on vacation in the next week or so. You're flying Southwest. Southwest has 34 of these Boeing 737 MAX 8s. You can find out maybe a day or two in advance. They can't tell you before that because they don't know. But, all right, you're getting ready to get on a plane. You happen to call and fi- you find out that you're jumping on the – you're scheduled to fly on a 737 MAX 8. Are you still flying? I, I would probably change the you flight. Would. I would. Yeah, okay. I probably all right. would. All right. No, I, there, there's no right or wrong answer. I'm, I'm getting on the plane figuring we all got to go sometime. Now, hopefully – that won't be my time, but I'm, I'm, I would fly, but I, I don't know how Fran would feel about that. Mm-hmm. I think we'd, we'd have to have that conversation. All right. Hey, speaking of, of air travel, just to note this, if you want to go to Europe, it's about to get a lot more difficult. Right now, if you're just going to Europe, most of the European countries for vacation, all you need is your passport. Starting in January of 2021, you're now going to have to register for something special. They call it a European Travel Information and Authorization System, which means that you've got to go online. You've got to have your passport number. It's going to cost you about $10 to get a a specific certificate and a card that allows you to, again, travel. It's not a visa but it's designed to get people to make it a little more difficult for people who just have passports. They say it's a security thing. They want to know who's coming into these European countries. Eh, the fact is you're also going to have to pay like 10 bucks for it. So it's also a revenue-generating thing. But if you're going to Europe, everywhere I think except Great Britain, um, after January of 2021, your passport alone will not suffice. Um, so stay tuned for details about that. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. This is kind of interesting to me. With with all the conversation about Boeing and all these concerns and the aircraft, which is is their big aircraft. They're they're betting the future of this company on these 737 MAX 8s. It really hasn't affected the stock price that much. Uh, Friday, the, the stock for Boeing and company... Uh, closed at $422 a share. Now, after the plane crash yesterday, it opened today at 371 So, I mean, that was down 50 points. But it, it's rebounded. Right now, it's at 400 So it's still down about 5%. But it, it's not down in a catastrophic fashion like perhaps you might have thought, given the problems it has. Now, I think investors are probably assuming that the, the ultimately the aircraft is going to be determined to be safe. But yeah, they're going to have a rocky time, I think, at least for the foreseeable future. All right. What was it? Was it Thursday show? Was it Friday show? There's a, I'm still getting a lot of 
feedback on this. There's a, um, we took a picture. I have this, I have what we would call a Costanza wallet. There's a picture on my Twitter account uh, of this. By that is, it's named after the, the Jason Alexander's character in Seinfeld, you know, who, who walked around with this wallet that was stuffed stuffed with his entire life and then there's a scene where it kind of all explodes on a snowy new york street well i have a costanza wallet and and, i mean it's got my life in it and it's not just the cash i carry but credit cards and driver's license and all these different types of things and i i actually found this thin wallet that i have and i'm thinking okay maybe i really don't need all the stuff when i go out that's in my current wallet i mean my driver's license i have multiple credit cards but i probably just need a credit card maybe i could just go with this thin one so i'm i i am wrestling with this but one of the things that I continue to be a dinosaur about, and one of the things that takes up some space in my wallet, is I always do carry a bit of cash. I understand that lots and lots of people, and we have talked about this on the program before, don't carry any cash at all. Gru, let me ask you, any cash on you right now? You have one, one dollar? All right, I gotta know, why, why do you have one, what are you gonna do with one dollar? Why do you have one dollar? There's a vending, ah, Okay, you've got the dollar, so if you want to go spin the wheel of death at the, the machines, and you know, if you check, they raise the prices on all that stuff. You can't get very much for $1 in those vending machines anymore, but you've, you have got $1 in cash. All right, she's got, she got $1. Um, my, my wife has taken in many situations to kind of like leaving her purse at home, and when she goes out, she'll have a credit card, and she'll have um, credit card, driver's license, and, and not really too much other than that. And I'll, I'll say, well, don't you have any cash at all? And she'll say, well, no, but I've got you with me, and you know, you you have cash, so I don't end up needing that. So I, I'm one of these people that that do carry cash, and that's one of the things that contributes to at least a little bit of of the bulge that's in the wallet. More importantly, it's probably all these cards and stuff I have otherwise. I bring this up because something interesting is going on in the city of Philadelphia, and this is it's an idea that has been spreading across the, the country. There are a number of retail outlets in Philadelphia, especially in the urban, in downtown Philadelphia, and they no longer accept cash. You cannot buy things with cash. As a matter of fact, I was at the Bucks game on Thursday night. Told you about it. I had a great experience. But there was, there was a line at Fiserv. There was one thing where you went in, and it said, no cash credit cards only this is a cashless line i'm pretty sure i wasn't hallucinating that it just said it's just said just pay for a credit card now you know i've always got credit cards so it's no no not a big deal but typically for if i'm buying a beer at a basketball game or a baseball game or popcorn or whatever i'm going to i'm going to pay cash it is unlikely that i'm going to pull out the credit card and do that but i admit that i'm in the minority about this in any event there's all these different retail outlets in philadelphia which have stopped accepting cash now why have they done this well they've said what we find is there's not that many people with pay for stuff with cash anymore anyways dinosaur jeff and it's faster and easier for our employees to process digital payments. It's just a, a lot easier to do that. You know, we so we, we don't even want to mess with cash. We don't want to mess with having to, you know, go to a bank and, and get 
you know, tens and twenties and singles and change to give change. We don't want to mess with that. What we found is, since most people just pay for this with credit cards anyways, it's easier for us to just process it. So we don't even want to fool around with it. So we will not accept cash. That's the decision that the businesses have been made. Now, I bring this up because there is a, a bill that is going to go into effect, a law signed by the mayor that takes effect July 1st, which says businesses are no longer allowed to simply accept credit cards. In other words, businesses that don't take cash can be fined up to $2,000 per transaction. So the idea behind this is that we, I mean, this is the justification, that there are people who don't have credit cards. And so the idea is by allowing businesses to only sell stuff to people who have credit cards, what you are doing is you are discriminating against folks that don't have credit cards, and that's unfair. So Philadelphia is now making it illegal for a business owner to choose to not accept cash. 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should a business that makes this decision, now you might agree with the decision, you might disagree with the decision, but should a business owner be able to make the decision that says, all right, we're going cashless. We don't want the hassle. We don't want the delay. It slows stuff up. We don't have, want to worry about having to get you know, change and have a bank of money to do this. We're just going to say you've got to pay for this stuff with a credit card. Should a business have a right to do that? Or does government, should government have the right to come in and say, well, no, we don't think this is fair. We're going to tell you what you can and cannot accept in a transaction. 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should a business have a right to decide whether it accepts cash or not? We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Vivaldi's Four Seasons is one of the most recognizable classical works, and this weekend the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra will be performing the Four Seasons, featuring four MSO violin soloists, each taking turns as a leader for one of the seasons. The concert is taking place at the Basilica of St. Josephat this weekend. I'll be giving away a free pair of tickets all week long. We'll give away a pair of tickets in the 2 o'clock hour of today's show. Stay tuned to the show for your chance to win a pair of tickets to a breathtaking space filled with beautiful murals and moving classical music and one of only a handful of recognized basilicas in the United States. Here's a text. Jeff, the UPS store on 6th and Rawson does not accept cash for shipping, credit cards only. My guess is there's lots of businesses that are like that. Like I say, I, I, I don't think I'm hallucinating. I, I swear I was at, at the Bucks game the other night and I saw there was a line that said credit cards only. Now, I don't know. I don't even remember what it was for. And I don't know if you could go stand in another line and use cash, but it, it was credit cards. My guess is there's a lot of places like that. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Ron in Fond du Lac. Ron, you're on WTMJ. I have two points to consider. The first one being not everybody can qualify for a credit card right. maybe due to their credit or whatever. Sure. Uh, secondly, uh, it's been my experience in the past that sometimes you go to an establishment and they, there are certain credit cards they may not accept. Right. I'll give you a typical, maybe an example, like say Diners Club. Maybe they take Visa and Master, but they right. don't take Diners Club. So what would you do then if that's the only one you have? Well, you don't go to that place. 
I, I mean, I guess that that's the the. I mean, well, I mean, for example, there's there's a chain of grocery stores that won't take. I want to say they don't take Visa cards because they think Visa charges them too much. You know, as charges too high a percentage, right. so they don't take the Visa cards. But I, and see, and I. You know, let's go back to your first point, Ron. You know, you were talking about how not have everybody has a credit card, and, and you're exactly right. At the same time, I guess my question to you would be, all right, all right, so what? I mean, does the business owner, all right, so that just means that if, if I'm if I'm selling coffee and I've decided it's too much of a pain in the butt to to take cash, you know, maybe that's a dumb decision, but let's say that's a decision I've made. Um, what what right? Why do you have a right? to insist that I, I change that to be convenient to you? Isn't the answer just you go find some, you go someplace else and buy your coffee? Well, another point to consider is there are certain bars and supper clubs that uh, will not take a credit card or they'll charge you a right. minimum of $20. So are you discriminating? I don't know. Right. No, thanks. I guess, I, I mean, I, I guess, see, I, I understand the argument, and I do understand that if you say we're only taking credit cards, you are going to be limiting. You're, you're right. There, there's people who don't have credit cards for whatever reason. But at the same time, I guess my question is, shouldn't a business have a right to make that decision? I mean, you're not it's not like you're singling out a particular racial or ethnic group. Um, you're just simply saying, hey, we've got a business reason for not wanting to take credit cards, now, for not wanting to take cash. It, shouldn't you, as the business owner, be able to make that decision? And from the perspective of the customer, yeah, I, I understand. Maybe if you're one of those people that doesn't have a credit card, it's a pain in the butt that you can't go in and can't buy your coffee at that particular place. But you know who? Why do you have an absolute right to do that? Let's talk to Robert in Milwaukee. Robert, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, I uh, I own a uh, little pizza restaurant in North Side of Milwaukee. We've been there for 55 years, and all we do is take cash. Okay. And the reason we do that is because we want to keep our costs as low as possible so we can pass it on to the customer. Right, and it, it obviously doesn't affect your business because people know that, and they know they got to have cash if they're going to come and patronize your place. And maybe you lose a customer here or there, but it doesn't matter. This model works for you. Right. I'd say at least 98% of the people understand. The other 2%, they say, get with the times. Yeah. And I explain it. And I said, well, the costs will have to be passed on to you. Right. And, it, you know, for the customer, they're already paying, you know, it's $23 for a pizza with everything on it. Right. And if that was the case, it'd be, you know, paying $25, $26. So. Right. Now, see, in this particular case, you know, what Philadelphia is doing, it's the reverse. There's businesses that just take credit cards. But how would you feel, Robert, about the government coming in and saying, Robert, you know, we think that you have to also accept credit cards, you know, for whatever, cash and credit cards. I mean, do you think that's government's role to tell you that you should have to do that? I would say no. Yeah. Yeah, I would say it's up to the owner of the business. Right. I get, yeah, no, thanks to God. See, that's that's my point on, on something like this. Now, again, you can you can make an argument. You know, you, you could argue to Robert, hey, all right, you've got a successful business. I get it, but you're missing out. Your business would be a lot more successful if you also had credit cards. Well, Robert is like, I don't want to take credit cards. I'm doing just fine, and, and so this is the rule. I think, you know, this is the flip side is, is true as well. I mean, again, I, I think individuals should have a right to decide to shop where they want. But when it comes to what you're accepting as currency, I think the businesses should have that right. Let me give you another example. There's lots of places that take cash. 
but they won't take more than a $20 bill. You know, how, how often have you gone into a place and said, you know, we don't accept more than, than 20 bucks? You know, they won't take a higher bill than a $20 bill. So should you have an absolute right to say, well, I carry hundreds and, you know, I, you, ex- you have to carry change? My argument would be no. The business has the right. Uh, all right. Does the business maybe miss out on a couple sales or something? Well, maybe, but I think a business owner has a right to say, gee, I don't, I don't want my, to have to have all the change that I would have to have in a drawer or whatever reason. I don't want to fool with hundreds. I think the business owner has the right to do that. Larry in Newburgh. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Hi. How are you? Hi, Larry. Uh, I, I love Newburgh, by the way. One of my favorite oh, towns. Yes. It's kind of like a hidden gem. It is. Know, which is we hope no one discovers it. Okay, we, then we'll, we'll forget about that. I, for, for, I've never heard of Newburgh in my life. Okay. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, I think it's a, a terrible thing for government to step in in this area. I mean, government is so much involved right now as it is. And to be honest, even if you have terrible credit, you can always get a credit card. You can go to Walmart, pay cash for a credit card. I mean, you know, prepaid cash and all that stuff. So, And to be honest, if it becomes an issue, you'll seek out those businesses that just accept cash, and you'll no longer go to those places. Right. Well, only want credit card. Well, yeah. It, I mean, Larry, you're right. It, it's a free market sort of thing. If I'm – we're talking about downtown Philadelphia. So if I'm running a coffee shop on one corner and I and I make the decision that I'm, I'm only taking credit cards, well, okay, all the people that don't have credit cards – they're going to go down the street and they're going to go to, you know, my rival's coffee shop, you know, at the next corner and he, he or she will welcome them. I mean, it's just kind of a, to me, it's a free market thing. I just don't think government should be involved in telling business owners what sort of, how, how what sort of transactions they have to, they have to accept if they've decided, hey, we just want to be credit card only. Correct. And what people don't realize is that business owners are charged between three to five percent. Uh, for every for every purchase, and right. what we do is you kind of factor that into the price the clients are paying. You know how that goes. So, people, there is a, a cost associated with these cars, which people aren't aware of. So, you know, a lot of clients you know, want to pay cash or check, and I, I think that's great. Yeah, and and again, I, I want to be real clear here. Now, this is the flip side of this. This is there are businesses that are are credit card only, and they've made the decision that we're doing this because we don't want to. We think it slows down the transactions. I don't know what type of businesses these are, but my guess is they're, you know, they're kind of like the the small, you know, grab and go type of places where you run in and there's just going to be a really quick transaction, and it's just easier to swipe cards. They are making the decision that they it slows things down if you have to make change and you have to deal with all this stuff. Again, maybe that's a bad decision. I don't know, but should they have a right to do it? Lori in Kenosha, Lori or in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Lori. A couple, couple things that, that I just can comment on on this. Um, one is a lot of elderly people don't use credit cards. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's as a business, you're losing a whole market of people. So it might be a dumb decision, but right. but is it a decision yeah. they should be able to make? Um, I guess I feel more that it's, I, when we had the other caller on with the credit card versus cash, right. I feel like they can't say no cash just because it is a legal tender of the United States of America. You know, I guess that's where I kind of feel on that. But credit cards, the problem is, I've worked retail a long time. Credit card lines go down. And if your credit card system goes down, you can't take credit cards. Well, what do you do? Yeah, then, then, yeah. I mean, of course, a lot of times what happens is if the credit card stuff goes down, the the, the whole computer goes down, you know, and, and you, and you can't... Pro- yeah, but... 
right. No. You can figure it out in your head and you know, give people change in that. Yeah. Um, same thing with security. The more that you're using that credit card out there, right. the more chance that you have a chance of somebody getting a hold of your numbers and all that stuff. So. Well, no, and I see, again, Lori, I get all that. And, and I'm not arguing... I am not arguing that I think it's a wise business decision. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I'm the guy that walks around and pays for lots of stuff with cash. Okay, so it would be it would be a pain in the butt if, if for small transactions I suddenly had to reach in and, and I mean it would never occur to me to use a credit card to pay for two dollars and twenty five cents for coffee or for you know donuts or newspapers or whatever. I, I that's just not how I operate. I, I always have at least a little bit of cash and that's how that that's just how I roll. So this would be a pain in the butt and to tell you the truth, I would be somebody who would probably be less likely to go to a place where I knew they were requiring me to have to pony up my credit card. So this this is not something that would be appealing to me and I am certainly not arguing that I think businesses should adopt this model. I would like to see them continue to carry cash, but I do believe that businesses should have a right to make that decision. Now, I got a couple texts saying, well, of course, this is discriminating. Everyone knows that minorities um, have uh, fewer percentage of credit cards than people who aren't a person of color. Well, okay, it seems to me that that's pretty much of a racist position to take as, as well, because there's all sorts of people, including myself, who prefer to pay for things with, with cash. I just think businesses should have a right to choose what they're going to take. In Philadelphia, they, they say no, but I find this to be interesting because lots and lots of businesses are going this model and the question is going to be should government prevent them from doing it my answer would be no if you don't like it then just don't shop there that's how i think i'd respond this is jeff wagner live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now here's wtmj's jeff wagner so melissa our teammates here at WTMJ and Good Karma Brands are teasing me and tempting me, and it, it, I think you're partially to blame for this. Are they tempting you with cookies? Yeah, no. well, right, right, right. No. Here, well, see, here's the deal. For people who might not have been listening to the segment last week, I, I had announced that for Lent, I was going to give up candy. Yes. And then Melissa then kind of was pointing out to me, she said, well, you know, you eat that much candy? And then we, we went into this broader discussion, and I started thinking about... Well, the implications of Lent. I really didn't eat that candy. And so somehow, I think with some of your urging, you kind of talked me into giving up a little nudge. And there's reason just besides Lent. It's I got high blood sugar and that type of stuff. So I've expanded this. It's not just candy. I've given up sweets. Um, and, and that means, now, you're talking to a guy who thinks donuts are a food group. Right. So no no donuts, no cookies, no pie, So how no did you cake, do your first weekend? No ice cream. Well, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. If you follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner six twenty, um, on on Sunday my my nephew um, Alex, who I talk about a lot, he he has twelfth birthday party, and we went out to we went out to there's a laser tag thing, oh, fun. laser yeah. tag adventures in mm-hmm. in Brookfield, and we went and we had a birthday party for him. There is a picture of the whole gang and me there, and my brother got this big birthday cake oh, no. white frosting Temptation. chocolate cake no you can see it it's 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 there at, at jeff wagner 620 um big big old cake and, and no i i i let it go by i i i let it go by so i i have not had any any sweets but here here's the temptation on friday 
one of our, our teammates, his his mom of all things, came in and she brought all these like freshly made baked cookies and stuff. Honest to goodness, <laughs> there were vultures all around. People walking, whoa, 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 shoveling these cookies in. Okay, so I, I I passed on the cookies and no no no, I passed on the birthday cake and and if if you see the picture on Twitter and it looks good, it real. I, I mean, I have no frame of reference because I didn't have it, but it does look sure, good. sure probably look, looks good. It sure looked good watching everybody else eat it. So. During the break, I go back to my little pod over here in programming, and there's a, a note left for me for something I have to do tomorrow. And and then the salesperson left like a couple homemade chocolate chip cookies I on the thing. I saw those cookies. They're you just know, they're Jeff, just messing with I me. I think it's when you eliminate that one thing in your diet that you see it everywhere, <laughs> right? It's just like surrounding you. Well, people are tempting me, but I, I so I I mean I I so then what I do is I I mean I found again one of our teammates over programming. I said, okay, people are messing with me here. I can't eat these. You know, do you want them? And he, he took them and he's like, oh, these are really, really good. good. You're like, and don't I'm tell like, me oh, that. Well, you don't have to eat them in front of me. You know. So Jeff, <laughs> if I eat a cookie, I'll tell you how bad it is. No, it's okay. No, no, no. But it's it's. I'm, but you're doing good. I I, I am doing good. I'm I proud have, of you. Right, I right, and it, it's a week, and I, I'm actually actually one of the interns that are. You know, is is this uh, is this permanent? And and I mean, no, it's not. It's not a New Year's resolution. <laughs> it's not a resolution. But at the same time, I keep thinking. You know, it is kind of interesting because if make you, could, you think, if, yeah. well, if you can get past this stuff, mm-hmm. I mean, maybe that's how people give up drinking or smoking sure. or doing all the other stuff. It's kind of like After okay, a week maybe you don't really miss it yeah. that much. You know where I really miss it? It's um, well, obviously birthday parties and stuff right. like that. But it's kind of like in the evening. I'm just used to snacking. You yeah, know, like that's like hard. after after dinner, mm-hmm. you want to have a couple cookies or or something like that, and. I, I haven't found the substitute. We I went out. We bought a bunch of those baked goldfish crackers last night. So that's going to be kind of oh, the, your little snacky. Yeah, but it's not. It's not the same as a Chips Ahoy. Do you like? Um, do you like popcorn? Yeah, I like. There's popcorn. a few places in town that have really good popcorn, but they have good caramel corn too. So that's again, that's yeah. a sweet. I don't know if that's yeah, something that I probably wouldn't. I, yeah. I'd probably stay away. But I'm okay. I'm a week into it, but. Yeah. But you have, you have drawn I I partially blame you you have drawn me down this that's route okay. but I'm that's okay but I'm <laughs> but so there's cookies and this is a tough place to work because they're always bringing in food there's always great food that's around here radio is known for food disappearing <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> right. right but okay so far I am a week into this good update thank you Melissa mm-hmm. absolutely hopefully it will be hopefully it will be good hey Vivaldi's Four Seasons is one of the most recognizable classic works and this weekend the Milwaukee Symphony or- Orchestra will be performing the Four Seasons featuring four symphony orchestras violin soloists, each taking turns as the leader for one of the seasons. Concert is taking place at the beautiful Basilica of St. Joseph at this weekend. I'm going to be giving away sometime between now and 3 o'clock a free pair of tickets. Stay tuned to the show for your chance to win these tickets to a breathtaking space filled with beautiful murals and moving classical music in one of only a handful of recognized basilicas in the United States. Elizabeth Warren trying to distinguish herself from other left-leaning candidates. It's come out with a very interesting proposal. I'm going to share it with you, and then I want to discuss. Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, one of the things that's going on in this this election season, and I understand the election's not until November a year from now, but already you have a ton of candidates who are running for the chance to beat Donald Trump. And, and right now, the, the Democratic Party, for better or worse, 
is moving hard left. The idea is, hey, this is the Bernie Sanders wing of the party, and we want to appeal to the young people who don't realize that socialism is a bad idea, and we want to sell the idea that everybody can have stuff for nothing and free education for everybody and free health care for everybody and this and that and the other thing. That That's kind of where we're going. Whenever you try to sell those type of things, you also, though, need to, to have boogeymen, bad guys, you know, the evil people. And in, in the mantra that you try to sell socialism, one of the things that comes is you need to find the bad guys. And oftentimes the bad guys, the bad guys are big business. You know, the evil corporations, those billionaires who have accumulated all this wealth and want to screw over the little people, all that type of stuff. So, there's a rush to try to distinguish yourself. Who can denounce corporations the most? Who can, you know, paint people that have money in the worst possible scenario? Elizabeth Warren, she's kind of gotten lost in the crowd. If you look at the polls right now, you know, Joe Biden, probably because of name recognition, he does about 27% of support. You've got Bernie Sanders, he's like 25%, and then it's all the rest of them. Elizabeth Warren, who's been running for president for a couple of years now, as a practical matter, um, she's sort of lost in the crowd, and she's kind of gotten caught up. Her campaign got off to a bad start because there's all these facts that for years and years she was claiming to, I, I think in an effort to get some affirmative action advantage, she was claiming to be a Native American when... I, you know, I, I, there's there's really not much percentage of Native American blood. And, you know, you can falter or not falter. That doesn't matter. But she's been trying to gain traction, and she's been having trouble. So what she did is she came out with this proposal on Friday, which would say it is time to break up the big technical companies. By that, the, she says Amazon and Facebook and Apple – And companies like that have become too powerful. So she says, if I am elected president, we will essentially break them up. Now, bear with me. I don't want to get lost too far in the weeds. But but here's what she wants to have the government do. She wants laws passed that would say, first of all, for an Amazon or a Google or a Facebook, they would not be allowed to share your information with third parties. What they do right now, and it's one of the ways that these companies make money, is that, for example, when you go on Amazon and you search for for something, right, Amazon takes that information, you're searching their website, and they will sell it to third-party providers, which might be why all of a sudden you get these ads for, hey, you know, you were looking for blue jeans. So all of a sudden you get ads for, you you know, you start seeing ads for blue jeans. That's because Amazon or Facebook or Google, they've sold your information. That's one of the ways they make money. So she says, first of all, I would have a law passed saying that they, you go on their platforms, you go to Facebook, you go to Google, you go to Amazon, and you search for something, Google or Facebook or Amazon would no longer be able to use that information to, and sell that information to other people. That's number one. Secondly, she would say that all these companies that have platforms, that's what they call it, Amazon is a platform. You go to Amazon and then you search for stuff. You go to Facebook. Facebook is a platform. You search for stuff. You go to Google. You search for stuff. She would say that as a matter of law, if the company 
has a platform, if it's Amazon, if it's Google, if it's Facebook, if they have a platform, they could also not at the same time sell products. So, for instance, let's say you go on Amazon and you want to buy, um, you want to buy, I'll use the example of blue jeans. Um, Amazon would not be allowed to sell you their own blue jeans. They, that would be it. They, you can't have the platform and also sell a product. You know, you could still allow you know Wrangler to go and sell blue jeans on Amazon, but Amazon couldn't sell blue jeans themselves. The argument is, well, gee, Amazon um, is getting big. Amazon has all these resources. They could sell you a generic product for less than Wrangler could sell you the blue jeans, and they shouldn't be able to do it because pretty soon they'll run Wrangler out of business. That's how the argument goes. In addition, um, things like Amazon just took over Whole Foods. Amazon would not be able to own Whole Foods. They wouldn't be able to sell their own brand of food to you because the argument is it lets them get too big. People go to Amazon. Amazon has this advantage because all these people want to go on Amazon. So if you can buy stuff, food through Amazon, through Whole Foods, that means that you're less likely to go somewhere else and buy it. So Amazon would have to get rid of Whole Foods. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this, and I've tried to simplify this, but Elizabeth Warren is declaring war on big tech, saying, I don't think, I want laws to regulate Amazon. I want laws to regulate Facebook. I want laws to regulate Google. I want to strip these companies down. I think they are too powerful, and I don't think they should be able to sell your information when you use a, your, their platform. And I also don't think that they should be able to sell products. Do you agree? We discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. Let's talk to Rob in Rochester. Hi, Rob. Rob, do we need to break up Facebook? Rob, going once, going twice. All right, lost Rob. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, here's my assessment of this. This, to me, and I understand we've got this huge rush to the left. You've got Democrat candidates who are trying to establish themselves as being who could be the most anti-business, who could be the most um, you know, anti-wealth. Who could come out with the idea of, here, we want to tax wealth. We want to go after these people because don't you understand there's these evil rich and there are these corporations and all. This, to me, is, again, it's a solution that is looking for a problem. I think things like Google and Facebook and Amazon and Apple have revolutionized, essentially, our, our world. And the idea, all right, so think of all the things that you might use Facebook for. I'm not a big Facebook guy, but people who use Facebook, all right, one of the reasons that Facebook, for example, is free is that people are able to, that Facebook is is able to sell some data on things that people, you know, post on Facebook or whatever to advertisers who are then able to sell the product. That That's how they make the money. Apple, Apple, by the way, is another company that would be broken up under this proposal. Apple, they have their app store. 
you know, where they sell Apple apps. Under this proposal, Apple would not be allowed to sell their own proprietary apps, applications. Well, all right, is the world really a better place if you can't, you know, conveniently go and access these Apple apps? You know, from the perspective of selling stuff on these platforms. All right, what's... What's the problem? You know, you want to go and you want to search for a bottle opener. So you go to Amazon.com and you put in bottle openers. Okay, so maybe Amazon has a generic bottle opener that they're selling that's $3 less than the bottle opener you can buy somewhere else. How is the consumer being harmed by the fact that you now can buy that generic thing from Amazon for, for less money. Now, again, I understand maybe at some point in time in this world, you know, Amazon will grow so strong and powerful that it will have driven out all other businesses. But I think that's highly unlikely and it hasn't happened in the past. This to me is just one of these ill thought out. Let's go after the evil big government, um, the, the evil, you know, in this case, it's big tech. We, we should really hate them. 414-799-1620. Matt in Greenfield. Matt, you're on WTMJ. Hey, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Okay, do we need this? Uh, no, we do not. We don't need it. And the reason being is because there was, at some point, these companies got the way they were because there was a demand for it. And I find it very interesting, as I was telling your screener, and somewhat ironic that a member of the Democratic Party that's all for more government and big government is at the same time saying, well, well, these corporations are getting too big. They're getting too powerful. We can't have this. We break them up. We need to stop it. And it's just funny to me because they got that way because there was a demand for it by the consumers through capitalism. And the one thing that most people will agree on is that we don't need more government. We don't need big government. Yet they push for that all the time. Right. They and built a better mousetrap. No, you think you're, you're right. They, they built a better mousetrap. I have a texture. Jeff, doesn't this almost sound like the demonization of Walmart in the 90s and early 2000s? Now we don't even talk about Walmart taking over the world anymore. It, it, it's absolutely, it is the same conversation. Look, Amazon, the, the reason Amazon is successful, and I, I don't own, I, I mean, I, I, I've got, I, I could care less. I don't have a horse in this particular race, but I mean, Amazon is successful because it offers a service that people like and if Amazon through their platform is able to sell you the same thing that you can buy from some other manufacturer for ten dollars less and you're happy with that generic edition why shouldn't you be able to make the choice again it's just like Matt was talking about it's like the whole idea of you know some people say they hate Walmart oh okay but those are the same people that ten years ago were, were in line the day, you know, after Thanksgiving at four in the morning because they want to buy the $49, you know, Blu-ray disc player instead of paying $79 for it. This this is all, in my opinion, it's part of the class warfare that's going on. It's part of this, you know, if you are successful, you are evil. If you are wealthy, you are evil. If you have built the better mousetrap, somehow you are evil and you need to feel guilty about this. I understand it has a certain superficial appeal on some levels but to me it's, it's kind of scary i think in this country we should be celebrating success now i appreciate at some point in time there's a role of antitrust and if you get to a certain point where the company now owns everything then you want to rein it in but this idea that we're going to declare war on particular companies because they're too successful i think candidly i think it borders on being un-american